Being an artist is a lot of work. Not only do you have to continuously come up with good ideas and then execute them, but you also have to deal with the professional side of things, including promoting yourself, which often has no relation to the creative part of making work. And still, most artists don't make a living off of their artwork, but they don't stop being artists. So to make ends meet, many artists have another job. Welcome to Not a Hobby, where we interview those artists who balance a full-time job and an art career. For those people, being an artist is not just something you do in your leisure time. off this new glass tire podcast, I wanted to interview Solomon Kane. He's an artist that has lived in Houston all of his life and has had one of the most unusual jobs for someone in the art world. He's been a police officer for the last 25 years. I met up with him at the Global Carpocracy event at the University of Houston where he had two of his pieces installed. Afterwards, at an on-campus bar, we discussed the podcast, and he recounted this incident of a young girl playing the piano during the opening. And so I asked her if she was a music major, and she said no. And I said, well, why not? You're, you've got talent. You've got this gift. You know? You're for music. What A lot of people for art. I mean, it's great. She goes, yeah, I know. She said, I love it. And she says, I don't want to major in it because I don't want to hate it. I don't want it to become something I don't like. I love it too much to risk that. Right. And I think with art and having a job, you know, we, we look at things and we separate. And I told her about this guy named Fing Kong Wu, who was a Confucian philosopher back in the 1500s in China. And he said that we have it all wrong. We separate things, especially in Western society. And, and we look at things in life a lot differently than we should. He said that we look at health as the norm and sickness as a deviation. He said that both are equally likely. We view success as a norm and failure as a deviation, but you're going to experience both. He said we need to take life as a whole. And so I guess I never realized until you asked me the question, I had to think about it. I mean, can you be an artist? And our society doesn't want that. They either want you to be an artist or to be whatever you are. You can't be both, but that's not fire. We are both. Right. We're everything. And it's not natural. Now, I think there are people that are better businessmen or businesswomen that, that sell their art, and they're, they're not better artists. They're just better in business and in the market. Right. Does that make them a better artist? No. Right. And in a way, they Unfortunately, bars are not great places to record, so we continued the conversation at our offices. Hi, Solomon. Hi, Ariana. So where are you from? I'm from Houston. Actually, I was born in St. Joseph's Hospital, last of the baby boomers, in 1959. Okay. So I've been here a while. Yeah. How has the city changed? Um, you know, I don't know that it's changed so much. You know, it's a lot more people, but uh, people pretty much the same. Um, I don't know. You know, it's a good question, but I guess I don't think in those terms of change, because every day is a change, and it's constantly changing. How did you kind of 
get started thinking about art? Very, very early age, Dr. Seuss. You know, it's the Dr. same Seuss. same source of my ability, you know, learning to read from the same source. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, a heavy dose of comic books, you know, growing up. And um, I, I guess I've always, since I was six, I've always drawn on something. Yeah, instead of paying attention to school, I always drew. How do you describe your work to people? Well, somebody described it as a metaphysical surrealism. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe uh, abstract, um, but it, it's kind of kind of weird, you know. I mean, it, again, it, it defies a category, but my life seems to do the same thing, so it's 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 okay. Um, what are you interested in exploring with your art? Pretty much, it's evolved, but it's stayed the same, and, and that's to change people's perception of art, of what they think art is, what life is, even. Mm -hmm. and, and I think to, in order to be able to consider an option, you have to consider it. You have to be open to accepting uh, of something different than what we're used to. Uh, right. Kind of like when you read something and you're told to believe something, and you believe it because you're told to believe it instead of checking it out for yourself. That's kind of the, uh, the idea behind my work. It's like, well, what's going on here? Let's see. Um, what is the artist really trying to say? But unfortunately, most people really don't care. They either like it or they don't. It either fits in their den or it doesn't. Right. It matches their color scheme or it won't. And I, I'm pretty sure most of my work doesn't match anybody's color. It doesn't fit over the couch. No. No. No, no. In fact, there was a guy from New York has a gallery up there when I was first starting out. And he, he really liked my work, but he says it's a problem. He says, people that collect art, they're going to put one of your pieces on the wall, and it's going to clash with all their other work. And either they're going to take all their collection down and leave yours up, or they're going to take yours down. Wow. So there, there you go. And uh, that, was, that was New York. Yeah, and that's okay. So you have a job. Yes, I do. Yes, I've had a job for the last 25 years. And actually, I had a job before I had this job. So I will have two retirements if I'm fortunate to live that long. What my job has enabled me to do is produce what I want instead of the, you know, the couch paintings, uh, the things that decorate apartments, you know, versus what Picasso said about art. No, painting is not done to decorate apartments. It's an instrument of war. So you've been much more politically involved. Like, your work definitely has had a more political stance. Yes, of course. You know, everything, I think it, ha it has to have a meaning. There's got to be a soul in it, because if it is meaningless, I mean, we talk about aesthetics of art. Yes, it's pleasing to the eye. But for me personally, it's got to be more to it, you know, to art. What is your job? Well, I, I work in law enforcement. I, I, I won't mention the agency. I figure that might be best not to. Um, since we're talking about art, but again, if everything is interconnected, which I believe it is. Yes. Um, that is basically my inspiration. Um, I've seen some really, really horrible things, things that people can't imagine, and probably things that you wouldn't want to see. So how do you portray this in somebody's mind? And so I have a very psychedelic approach because, you know, I grew up in the 70s, um, you know, I had black light posters. Um, I thought it was very cool at the time, and, and it's timeless. And Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon is probably one of the best albums that's ever been played. It was a Dr. Seuss book, The Things I've Seen and the Places I've Been or something. Uh, it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of hard. It's very serious. And, and, and so I think a lot of times we can adapt. It's just like PTSD. You know, there's post-traumatic stress disorder. We as human beings go through some horrible things and horrible experiences, and how do we deal with that? We run, we, you know, running away from it's definitely not going to help. Right. You know, and I, I don't know if I mentioned it before, like everyone's got this cup in their brain that's got this liquid that's very refreshing, 
but it has to be emptied ever so often or it's going to spoil and, and contaminate and become this cesspool of bacteria and be, become deadly. It has to be dealt with. And so I guess with my art, I'm trying to change people's perception of what they think they think and what they think they see. How did you end up in, I mean, you've had this job now for 25 years. How did yes. you, how did you get started? It's such an unusual job, first of all, for, for an artist to, right. to be in law enforcement. Yes. Trust me, I picked the two professions that nullify each other. <laughs> you know, the, the, my, the people in art that know I'm a cop think I'm some kind of, you know, neo-fascist skinhead. People that are in law enforcement know I'm an artist think I'm some kind of pinko communist fag, you know. They, they have no concept. And, and that's kind of, it's okay. I'm trying to change people's idea of, of what is art and what you think you think. But it, it, a long time ago, I was going to Glassell, and uh, I worked for Kroger to put myself through school. And I went to Texas Academy of Art. Actually, it was probably more that time period. I hadn't uh, gone over to Glass Cell yet. And a, a young woman came in the store with three little children, and she freaked out. And her boyfriend apparently was an abuser and had beaten her pretty badly. And so she screamed and ran for help, and nobody would help her. So like an idiot, I stepped up. But the problem was um, we tried all day to find help for her, and we never could do it. And this was many years ago. Houston Area Women's Center, nobody had, didn't have the beds. Nobody would take her in. Her whole family disowned her. And so I wound up later that night driving her back to the abuser. And so I always wondered, you know, did I have a hand in, you know, having this poor woman murdered, you know, beaten to death? I, I don't know. But the opportunity came up to go into law enforcement, which is not something I really wanted to do. But you want to help people. And I'm naive. The people that are in law enforcement, they don't think anyone else can understand what they deal with and what they go through. And you have to work there to be able to understand it. And that's not true. There's a, a big dichotomy between what the public sees and what people on the other side see. Mm -hmm. And there's two different perceptions. And, and there's some people that back the blue no matter what. And there's some people that hate them no matter what. But in my case, we had a supervisor that was a serial killer and a rapist. And uh, he was a supervisor. And he hid behind his badge and gun and, you know, to, you know, rape and kill. So, I mean, it's not what you think. There, there's a whole lot more to it. You know, not to, and again, if we sidetrack, I could talk for many, many hours about the things like that. There was another young man who swore out a false warrant for his girlfriend's son so he could go and kick her door and kill her, which he did. And, uh, and he was, so he, he was, was a detective a, he was at a the detective. time. Yes, yes, yes. And, and again, to show you how naive I was, um, where I went when I first hit, went to the streets, um, it was the same place where. A group had been uh, arrested, I say arrested, one individual in particular and his wife were selling cocaine out of their marked unit. So this is something that the public doesn't see and they don't want you, and, and rightfully so, they, that things that you want to you advertise these things. But when you're on the side, you know, you can't help but notice it. And uh, yeah. these are your peers, the people you work with a lot of times. Now I'm like REM, I lost my religion. So what, what are the hours? I mean, what, what is this? Well, for me, it's is a it night a nine shift. to five? No, no, no. <laughs> the night shift is where you go to hide behind the many enemies you make when you go to art school and become a cop. Okay. Um, it's, it's all about conformity. And, and again, a military organization is based on obedience. You, you obey orders no matter what. And I'm just not very good at that, I'm afraid. The job seems very demanding. Oh, yes. Well, I, I am a supervisor now, which gives even more demands. It's not dangerous for me, so to speak. It's dangerous the ones that I'm supervising. And, and if I have anybody at all, I have a responsibility to make sure they go home the way they get there. My whole goal is for them to leave 
in the same shape they got there in, you know, right. even in spite of themselves. And uh, sometimes it's a very dangerous environment, but it's dangerous on all sides for everybody because sometimes people don't do what they should. They don't think about their actions. You don't have to fight. Violence begets more violence on one sense. And, and your mind's the greatest weapon you have. The greatest tool we possess is our heart and mind. And I think that's where maybe we separated it here in the Western world. In the Eastern world, they don't separate the mind and the heart. It's kind of one thing. Here, you know, it's either your heart or you follow your mind, you know. But um, I think it was Ibn Gabriel said, what good is a seeing eye if the heart is blind? So the most difficult thing we can do is just to survive sometimes. And, and I think with going back almost a religious concept, you know, people that keep the faith, that, that's what sometimes the hardest thing for them to do. That's all they have to do. And, and so it's basically you don't give up, you know. You just don't want to, you know, why, you, know you can't, not till it's not over till the fat lady sings, right? And she hadn't sung yet. Not that I haven't heard it a few times, but uh, again, the hobby, I don't know that this word is it's fairly new. It'd have to be because up to recent times, people have been too busy living, you know, staying alive. There was no such thing as a hobby, you know? So after 25 years of working on the force and being a full-time artist, has it all been worth it? Yes, the whole thing has been a success. And, and I say that, I, I risk my art. I was willing to put that on a back burner, you know, to become a, a police officer. But in reality, it had the opposite effect. It wound up giving me the inspiration and the material to go to that next level. And, and to put things in my art, and, and a lot of times we don't know, like today we wake up, we go, we go out. I think the Chinese, it's in the Tao or something, you, you know, the journey of 10,000 miles is begun by one step. So we don't know where we're going to wind up. And so with the law enforcement thing, even the horrible things that they've experienced and done, they, 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 they're integrated. You know, you, you can't separate the good from the bad. You have to take them as a whole. But I guess it's, it's something that I had not anticipated. You know, they didn't anticipate me, and I didn't anticipate them and not coming out the way things were. You're either, I don't say you're either artist or not, but then we have to define artist. What is an artist? But you're right. I mean, you know, it's like we're, we're made up of so many different things. And, and right. to separate one thing from another, it's, it's to me, um, yeah, you're either artist or you're not. And actually, people that don't think themselves as artists, but they still appreciate art, you know? And going back into anthropology, when they, I think when they viewed uh, like Neanderthals or whoever they were coming up through history, they would, the, one of the markers to see if this was a more of an advanced society was did they produce art? And going back to the whole concept of a hobby, I looked after we talked before, and so I looked up the definition of what a hobby was. It's something people do for pleasure. Yes. Okay. Well, that could be anything. And if you enjoy your job, is your job a hobby, you know? Anything can be a hobby, but at the same time, it's what you do for pleasure. But for me, it's even different. It's, it's, it's a lot different because of what I deal with on my real job, going back to that cup of water that's in our brain that has to be poured out every so often, art overflows. Right. Um, art allows me to do that. Art is, a, is a ther- it's therapeutic. And, and I think it's a very, and it, it is it being explored now and has been, but art is therapy where people have PTSD, with people that have gone through horrible uh, traumatic experiences, they're able to deal with it through art. Having worked for 25 years, Solomon is now approaching retirement. You know, retirement, that, that's an interesting terminology. Do we ever retire? Right. Well, you know, eventually we retire from life, and that's about it. In the meantime, 
what do we do with our, our, our lives, you see? Well, there's another saying that says uh, everyone loses their mind at some point in time. Our jobs go back to where we lost it and pick it back up. Well, maybe that's what I'm trying to do right now. Go find out where I lost my mind. See, retirement means for me I'll have more time to do art. But right. at the same time, then it's, it's like it'll be more of a business because then I'll actually need to make income from my art, which you always do. I mean, I don't know how you are. It's like, you know, people come to the studio and, you know, it's like you can only produce so much. It's like, well, how much is that? Well, how much you got? I can only imagine how hard it has been to keep both such distinctively different careers going and support a family. Though Solomon has had a share of ups and downs, he describes one unique experience that has been a reminder why it is all worth it. Um, I guess one of the high points was, was Bert Long. Um, Bert, you know, was like a great friend and mentor. I didn't, I only knew him at the, the end of his life, but he came and bought a painting from me. And it's like, wow, dude, you Bert Long, like, you know, what are you talking about? You know, I don't want any money here. You can have it. He goes, no, 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 I got it. <laughs> So, um, of course, he never did finish paying me for it, and, and that's good. I, I didn't want it. But he wrote, he wrote me a check, and I told him, hey, man, I said, this is like Picasso, dude. I'm not going to cash this check. This, this check is worth more. Your signature on this piece of paper is worth more than this check. He laughed. He says, he says you idiot. He says, you got a scanner? I said, yeah. He says, well, go scan it, then cash it. But, of course, that defeated the purpose. But no one knew Bert was going to die so fast. I mean, he none of us, including Bert, you know. And uh, right. he, at the Young Center, he had a show at the Young Center. And, and in his red book, he wrote me an IOU out because I bought a catalog. So he gave me a catalog, and he wrote down an IOU for me, which, of course, I never cashed in. But those, those little successes, like, I mean, if you want to really have the encouragement to go on, you find it in the most unsought-of places that, you know, that you wouldn't think. And, right. and uh, what I never understood was I spent a lot of time in his house and, and gentlemen. I got to eat with him quite a bit, but I had a truck, so I made a deal with Bert. I said, Bert, I said, I got a truck, man. And uh, you need some materials. He used to go to Home Depot quite a bit. We used to take him, and uh, of course, we'd sneak on a good barbecue. Gentlemen didn't know it. But <laughs> Bert, um, you know, here's this, the greatest African American artist in, in the entire state, not the nation, in my, in my opinion. The greatest artist, you know, and, and, and Bert was in that level in my eyes. And he's so open. He helped any artist that came to him, no matter how young or how inexperienced or whatever. His home was open. And I didn't understand why there wasn't a line to get in, you know, because that's the kind of guy he was. And uh, he was just an amazing, amazing person. I had to show up in my uniform once to help Bert out. He, uh, yeah, and one of his many times when the cancer was getting real bad, John, uh, they'd call 911 and ambulance would show up and they would take him to Benton instead of the VA or wherever he wanted. And Bert told me once he had a, his, his uh, I think it was his brother or sister, somebody had given him a bottle of wild, wild Irish rose and he had it on the shelf as a joke. Well, then when they came in, they'd see the bottle, they saw the you know, half empty wine bottle and they thought he's just having an alcoholic. Uh, because of where he lived. So I showed him my uniform and make him take him where he needed to go. They didn't appreciate it, but, you know. Uh, but, I, I, yeah, I'll never get the time I, had, I got called to go pick him back up from the VA because they had not treated him very fairly either, and he was pretty upset about that. And, you know, here's this great artist, fantastic, super famous, you know, and, 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 and he's having to go to the VA, and, and he's having to call people to help him. You know, kind of sad. But that's, that's an aspect of the art world, you know, we don't really think about. And is art a hobby? Uh, I don't know, you know. Right. Some people just don't have the luxury of, or the finances to be able to be independent. And I think most of your independent artists, are, they're already financially independent. So that's helpful for them. 
and uh, but other people don't have that luxury. So does that make them less of an artist than somebody that does have the resources? Well, I don't think so. Do you believe art has the power to change? Oh, definitely. The it's the strongest thing in the world. In fact, Solzhenitsyn, that's, I brought that quote too. It, you know, in the struggle against lies, he says art has always won. Art, you know, can stand up to lies where nothing else in the world can, you know. And, and he'd spent a lot of time in the gulag. I mean, and he was a writer, of course. So he knew, but he knew the power of art. And what that poor guy went through, you know, was horrible. But it kept him. And so he says the, the one thing that can defeat lies is art. So can you ever imagine not doing art? No. 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 It's not something you do in your leisure time. It's not a leisurely thing. If you were, to me, you know, yeah, I guess you could. I don't want to think for people and, and put people in a box and, and make them conform to my, you know, right. description or interpretation. So maybe there's some that can. But for me, that's not possible. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Not a Hobby with Solomon Kane. I'm Ariana Roche, and you can find out more about this episode and see images of his work on glasstire.com. Are you an artist with a full-time job? Email me at ariana at glasstire.com. I'd love to hear from you.